This is Doug Hastings, Vice President of Moody Radio, and we're thankful for support from our listeners and businesses like United Faith Mortgage. Mortgage commercials are rarely exciting. So to make it slightly more interesting, here are my nieces to do it for me. So interest rates continue to drop like my sister's baby teeth. Come on, Uncle Ryan had to say the same thing last year. That's true. Last year, it was rates are boring talk historically low. And now this year, there's somehow even more boring talk historically lower than the previous boring talk historically low. Sounds boring. But for so many listeners who just haven't wanted to deal with it, refinancing right now could save you massive amounts of Lego sets. Rates have gotten that low. Some borrowers could potentially save hundreds monthly and tens and tens of thousands over the life of a loan. And if you didn't put 20% down before, some could even stop having to pay PMI. Give Uncle Ryan a shot. We are United Faith Mortgage. United Faith Mortgage is a DBA of United Mortgage Corp. 25 Melville Park Road, Melville, New York. Licensed Mortgage Banker. For all licensing information, go to nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Corporate NMLS number 1330. Equal housing lender. Not licensed in Alaska, Hawaii, Georgia, Massachusetts, North Dakota, South Dakota, and Utah. You're listening to the Today in the Word radio podcast. This week, we bring you a five-part series of messages Ron Blue presented at Moody Week 1988 on vision, trust, and dependence on God. Ronald Blue was coordinator of the Spanish Doctor of Ministry program and adjunct professor in world missions and intercultural studies at Dallas Theological Seminary. Now, here is Ron Blue on Today in the Word radio. I'd like to invite you to turn your, to your Bibles to Psalm 2, please, the second Psalm. Now, we'd like to look into the Word of God, and I always like to talk to the author before we look at his Word. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, again tonight, we thank you for the blessings of this day. It's been a wonderful day of worship and praise to you. Lord, I thank you for every person in this vast auditorium tonight. We thank you for what you have done in each one of our hearts to bring us to yourself. And now I pray that you would speak to us from your word. We acknowledge our human limitations. Lord, we're fully aware spiritual work is beyond us. And we ask that you would work in our midst for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. I'd like to ask you to come with me to Columbus, Ohio. There in Columbus, down at the Ohio State University campus, uh, there's a little stone gray building that existed for a long time in the midst of all these towering, shiny new hospital buildings. It's called the Starling Love Eye Clinic. After I got through with high school, a little town in southern Iowa called Russell, Iowa, and if you know where Russell is, you're from there. Then I went to the University of Nebraska, finished the four years there in undergraduate work, then was in the Navy for three years, and after that, I went to Columbus, Ohio. When I got out of the Navy, I didn't know exactly what I should do, and uh, finally decided uh, there would be worse things to do than fit contact lenses. I had heard about this program, so I wrote, and I was accepted at the last minute, and I went to Columbus, didn't know a soul. But ended up in the training program at Ohio State University in the Starling Love Eye Clinic, in the ophthalmology department, getting trained to fit contact lenses. I'd like to ask that you come along with us to that eye clinic, and I'd like to give some eye exams tonight. This second psalm is a tremendous guide to give us vision. We need better vision. And I thought how fitting it would be perhaps tonight to give 
some exams and give them to you free. How's that for a bargain? Is that good? Let's try the first one. You come into a little room, put your head in a cup to hold it steady. Cover one eye. In front of you is a large concave black velvet screen. And there's a, an attendant there with little white pins to mark out your field of vision. And it's true, as you look straight ahead, you can see off to the sides. We can also pinpoint the blind spot that every one of us has in each eye, where the optic nerve comes into the eye. What we're really looking for, though, with that simple process of white pins on black velvet is to find where you might have a retinal tear. If there is a retinal tear with little white pins, you can find exactly where that exists on the retina. I'd like to ask you tonight, how's your field of vision? Let's take a look around. Let's look at our world for a minute. That's what the psalmist does in this second psalm. Look at how it starts. It says, as he looks around, the psalmist looks at his world and says, why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. And what are they saying? Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. What do you look at when you see the world around you? You'll see this today, a rebellious world. Now, one of the first things you notice in this study in the Psalms, we'll be looking at a different Psalm every night that we have our time together. This Psalm is a Psalm of vision, God's perspective. And if we're free in the Lord, we can have his perspective. On Tuesday night, we'd like to look at Psalm 46. We need to stand in the protection of the Lord. If we're truly free, let freedom ring. We will have his protection. And then finally, Friday night, we'll take a look at Psalm 90, the priorities that God can give to us. But now, Psalm 2. One of the things you'll notice in the Psalms right away is that it is not like our poetry. And I think you're all fully aware that in the Hebrew poetry, there's parallelism. You notice in the first line, why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? Doesn't sound like poetry. If we were to write the psalm today, it would sound like this. And I got this from an old English psalter written in English in a poetic form in which we would use. It reads, why rage the heathen and vain things? Why do the people mind? The kings of earth do set themselves and princes are combined to plot against the Lord and his anointed, saying thus, let us asunder, break their bands, and cast their cords from us. But he that sits in heaven shall laugh, the Lord shall scorn them all. Then shall he speak to them in wrath, in rage he vex them shall. Yet I, my king anointed, have upon my holy hill and reign as king on Zion Mount, Forevermore he will. Doesn't that sound good? Uh, but that's the way we write poetry. This is not written that way, as you well know. There's a parallelism, and he puts two words in that position. Nations, peoples. The interesting part here is that the word nations, goyim in Hebrew, is really a word that means peoples. In Greek, in the New Testament, you'll find that is uh, Gentiles. Ethne, it's called. Ethnic peoples. When God looks at the world, he sees people. 
Not really political units. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about stick them and they bleed people. Just like us. In fact, if you know some Spanish or Italian, you'll realize that the word Gentile is also used in those languages. Gente, gente. You know what that means? People. <laughs> people. He looks at people. And when he sees the earth filled with people tonight, he sees people in rebellion against him. It's a tragedy. Verse 2, it's not just the peoples. It's the leaders, the kings. And again, the parallelism. And the rulers take counsel against the Lord and against his anointed. I was talking with Cam Townsend while he was still here on this earth. And of course, as you know, he's graduated to his reward in heaven. But dear Cam Townsend, used to come down to Dallas Seminary. You know, the founder and director for years of Wycliffe Bible Translators. He came because... His son-in-law was going to school at Dallas Seminary. His daughter was there, but that's not really why he came. They had a child. It was the grandbaby he loved to see. And he'd come down, and I got together with him on occasion. I remember once we were sitting at a table having some coffee, and at that point they were having problems with their contract with Mexico. And I said to Cam Townsend, I said, boy, some of these countries, some of these governments really give you a hard time, don't they? I'll never forget his response. He said, well, you know, Ron, governments don't make decisions. People do. We have to get next to those people that make the decisions and try to persuade them. He had a godly perspective. He could see people. A rebellious world. And what are they saying? Let us tear their fetters apart, cast away their cords from us. Now, let me ask you tonight. How's your vision for the world? You know, this is a paradise. This is so much fun. What a blessing it is to be here. My heart is blessed beyond measure. Love to hear you sing. And, and, and this very special place that God has used so mightily. But this is not the real world. We dare not forget there's a world out there that feel the vision to see the people. Now, I like to do this. Where are all the people on the world? Can you see my map up here? I love to put the map up. Can you see it up here? Let's take a look at the world for just a second. And let's not make it the way we normally make maps in our country. Did you ever notice we put the United States in the middle, cut one continent in two pieces, and throw it off on the edges? Isn't that clever? You know where that thing's made, don't you? No, let's keep that continent together that we throw off on the edges. Asia. Did you know that 60% of the world's population is in that one continent? Asia? In fact, in this little bulge down here called China, there are one billion of the five billion people on this globe, one out of every five in that lone country. Asia, 60% of the world's population. Come over to Europe, 15% of the world's population. Or in that one landmass, you see three-fourths of the five billion people on our globe. Down to Africa, 10% of the world's population. Latin America, 8% of the world's population. North America, 7% of the world's population. The United States of America is only 6% of the world's population. We're a drop in the bucket as far as people are concerned. But capture this. We consume about 60% of the world's goods. We are rich. We're loaded. 
You say, Ron, where do you get all those numbers? Man, I'd like to show you. I always like to put people on to good uh, sources. And this is one. They all come off of this one hunk of paper called the World Population Data Sheet, which lists every major country of the world and gives all sorts of data about each one. And this is where you find these population figures. In fact, if you'll read a news magazine, you'll discover if they footnote the population, if they list it, it'll come from this piece of paper. I was just in Bolivia just last week. And I like to keep this, this in my Bible, so I follow through and see how other countries may compare with us. I mentioned how rich we are. United States of America, in gross national product, produces goods and services per person last year, $16,400. You know what it is in Bolivia, where I was last week, and I could feel it, the poverty there. It's enough to, to really break your heart. Bolivia, $470. We're at $16,400. Even the people that I ministered to in Bolivia were not aware that they were the second poorest nation in the Western Hemisphere. Only Haiti is poorer than Bolivia. You know, I think every family ought to have one of these to increase the world vision. Wouldn't it be good to have one? Would you like the address? I'll read it to you real quickly. And if you can write fastly, you can jot it down. It costs about $2 to send for this. Population Reference Bureau, Incorporated. Population Reference Bureau, Incorporated. 777 14th Street. I'm glad it's not 666 14th Street. 777 14th Street, Suite 800, Washington, D.C. 2005 is the zip code. 777 14th Street, Suite 800, Washington, D.C. 2005. I really think every family ought to have one of these. So to get a feel for the world. And I think where they ought to put it is right on the front of the television set. It's World Population Data Sheet. Population Data Sheet. And uh, if you'd like to look it over after this uh, meeting, come on up here and you, you're free to look it over. Listen, we are a small part of the world, but the United States of America continues to be the major force used by God to reach the world. We look at the poverty in other parts of the world. But we're not so great either. We're becoming poor in moral values. I was reading this just recently. Crime in the United States of America. Listen to this. There's a murder every 28 minutes in our country. Of freedom and blessing. A murder every 20. That means three people are murdered while we sit here tonight. There's a rape every nine minutes in this country. Twelve women will be raped in the time that we're here in this service. There's a robbery every 75 seconds, an aggravated assault every 64 seconds, a motor vehicle theft every 33 seconds. That means 192 cars will be stolen while we're in this meeting. You might like to go out and check and see if yours is still out there. There's a burglary every 10 seconds. There's a larceny or theft every five seconds. Theft. Got another one. And another. Well, we look around and you say, boy, this is great, nice way to end the day. You bring us in here and talk about this messy world we're in when we've been on the cloud all day. Oh, listen, don't stop now. The psalmist does not end here. We need another check on vision. We've looked at the field of vision. You ready for this one? Come in now. 
into the office again, Starling Love Eye Clinic, sit down in front of a little box. Both eyes open now or you can't take this test. There are two rods in the box, two white rods. And we'll move the rods back and forth and it's up to you to say which one is closest to you to check your depth of vision. How's your depth of vision tonight? Oh, man, I tell you, I love this song. He doesn't conclude with the field of vision. He moves beyond what just appears to be around us. And I have great news for you tonight. When the outlook is grim, the uplook is grand. Look at the psalmist. He who sits in the heavens, verse 4, laughs. You ever thought about a God that laughs? We don't usually think of him that way, do we? I'm especially attracted to this verse because the person that led me to the Lord was brought to the Lord in part because of this very verse from Psalm 2. His name, Walter MacDonald. Some of you perhaps knew of him. When I was a little toe-headed brat at the Garfield Avenue Baptist Church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Happy Mac, they called him, Walter MacDonald, came to give his testimony. And I listened to him. I was in the third pew on this side of the church. Listen to this testimony because it was fascinating. Here was a man who'd been in show business, as many of you know, and hit the bottom because he couldn't stay off the bottom. Half drunk one night in Chicago, he slipped into the Pacific Garden Mission and heard the man who was speaking that night read this verse, a God in heaven who laughed. He'd never thought about a God who could laugh. And of course, that night the gospel was presented and he put his trust in Christ. His life was transformed. God took away the habit of drink and he became an evangelist. Happy Mac, they called him because he enjoyed life. And I listened to that testimony and when they gave the invitation, I realized I needed to do something. I was sitting next to my buddy, Wilbur Brown. Blue and brown. We were the terrors of the Sunday school class. <laughs> and as they sang that invitation hymn, I leaned over to my buddy Kenny. I said, Kenny, let's go. He said, go where? And I realized I had to do it alone. I slipped out, came forward. It may not sound like much to you, but my life was transformed. I hope we never get over the excitement of having come to know the Savior. He who sits in the heaven laughs. Now this laugh is a laugh of scorn at those who are shaking their fist in his face. Look at what it says. The Lord scoffs at them, the kings, the rulers, the nations, the peoples. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them all in his fury. And God says, but as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion my holy mountain. Now you can see this is a messianic psalm. He's talking about the coming king. King of kings. Lord of lords. Oh, listen, what a God we have. I love this. From the messed up world, he moves to the very throne of God. And what a contrast. If you haven't read it, you better read it. It's a classic. A great little book. I think it's still in print. J.B. Phillips, Your God is Too Small. Don't you love that little book? If you haven't read it, you ought to read it. It is a classic. I like the, the gods, the little gods that we have. 
that he uh, sort of exposes. One, for example, the, the executive God, you know, the God that's, that's real busy, has five phones ringing and, and their papers piled up over, all over his desk. Aren't you glad that that's not the kind of God we have? You never get put on hold. <laughs> you never get a recording. You can talk to him. He's not that way. The one I really enjoy in that book, though, is the policeman God. You know, the God that's on a motorcycle behind a billboard. The minute we start to have a little fun in life, boom, he's out to give us a ticket. I ran into one of those guys, by the way, on those motorcycles down in Guatemala. I went the wrong way on a one-way street. And I saw the guy. Oh, I said, oh, no. Listen, I want you to know, though, everybody did that because that was the paved street. You know, the one that wasn't paved was the one we were supposed to get. Nobody went down that street. We all went down the paved street. But there he was. Oh, I said, here we go. So I have a little method. I don't know what you do with police. I always get out of the car and get my license out because I know they're going to ask for it. I like, I like to be very cooperative to those guys. <laughs> so I pulled my license out, handed it to him. And then I start asking questions. That's my approach, sort of get acquainted. I said, how many children do you have? <laughs> And we were talking away, and he's writing the ticket. Finally, I said to him, say, how would it be after you write that ticket and you give to me? Of course, I go into the court. The judge brings down his gavel. That'll be five quetzales in court costs. And I go to pay the fine. But as I get up to the desk to pay the fine, suddenly I find that same judge standing beside me. He said, no, no, I'll take care of it. I said, no, sir, I was the one that did it. What was that again, five quetzales? No, says the judge, I insist, I'll pay it. The policeman stopped. He said, could you run that by again? <laughs> and I told him that again. He said, that would be nice, and went back to writing the ticket. <laughs> and I said to him, well, that's exactly what God has done for us. We are guilty, but he has paid the fine. He stopped writing the ticket. He said, you know, I have a brother who's an evangelical. I don't think I want to give you this ticket. It pays to witness, friends. It pays to witness. No, seriously. Think about the God we have, creator of the universe, in control. You don't have to worry. He's got it all put together. Well, we've taken the test of the field of vision, your depth of vision, finally. Let's do the one everyone in this room has probably done. Remember that one? You get in there and there's a chart down on the wall. And the doctor says, read the bottom line. And you say, what bottom line? <laughs> well, try the next one and on we go. We've all done it. Distance vision. And that's where the psalmist concludes. Field of vision, rebellious world. Look around. Depth of vision, look up. There's a righteous God. Now let's look ahead. Distance vision. We see a redeeming king. Verse 7. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, Thou art my son. Today I have begotten thee. This is a prophetic picture of our redeemer, the anointed one, the king. The Son of God. And as you know, Paul knew this passage by heart 
Because when he preached in Acts 13, he used this passage. The writer of Hebrews refers to it twice. And then God says to his son, Ask of me and I will surely give the nations as thine inheritance. And the very ends of the earth is thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt shatter them like earthenware. You see, God is not playing games. Every time I read the shatter them like earthenware, I, I think of a restaurant in Segovia, Spain, in that city in which we serve. The owner, great big fat guy, Candido, has a very special dish in that restaurant. It's a very luxurious restaurant. The dish is called cochinito, that suckling pig. And he puts on quite a show. He's got quite a costume on and all this. A very fancy place. You go in there. If you order that, I've never ordered. I just can't quite think of eating the suckling pig. But I've watched other people. He comes out, and with the plate, he quarters that pig just with a plain plate. He cuts it. It's so tender. Then for the show, and I don't know why he does this, he takes that plate and slings it behind his back, and it shatters all over the wall. Every time I read this, I think of that. When Christ comes again, Zechariah 14, 4, he's not coming as a little baby. He comes as king of kings. The mountain splits in two. That's the power he has. Now, fortunately, he doesn't stop there. Punishment is due those who rebel. But now comes the final invitation. Look at the last Three verses of the psalm. Now, therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence. Rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the sun, it says here in my New American Standard. I like the King James. Kiss the sun, lest he become angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath may soon be kindled. And look at the last line. How blessed, how happy are all who take refuge in him. We are a blessed people. Do we have our full refuge in him? Can we see ahead to the redeeming king? That's what it's all about. The people of that rebellious world need to come to know the redeeming king. When I was in Korea, I spoke at a church that's a common church for Korea. Three morning services, a thousand in every service. There are larger churches than that in Korea. One that holds uh, 10,000 people, at least it did when I was there, with an overflow of an additional 2,000. They had five services. God is at work in that country in Korea. But after our time in the church that Sunday, we went out for lunch. Five elders took me out to lunch. And one of the three elders of the five who had lived in North Korea told me a story that I think is the most touching story of the surrender we ought to have to our king that I have ever heard in my life. I've told it before, but it merits repeating. This elder told me over the table what happened during the Korean War. He said a group of believers were in a little chapel in North Korea on their knees in prayer when soldiers barged in 
armed with machine guns. One of the soldiers said, all right, everybody, get up. So they got off their knees. He said, line up against the wall. They got over there. Then that soldier ripped a picture of Christ off the wall and threw it down on the floor. He says, all right, one by one, you'll come by here, spit on his picture, and curse his name. First three in line were men of the church. They did what the soldier said. They spit on the picture of Christ. They cursed his name. Fourth one in line was a high school girl. She came up before that picture and she dropped to her knees. And with her skirt, she wiped the spittle off and she said, go ahead and kill me. I cannot curse his name. He said, get up. They blindfolded that girl and the three men and marched them out behind the chapel. The people inside heard three shots. They came in with the girl alive. And the soldier said, anyone who gives up what they believe that easily is not fit to be a communist. And he marched out. That girl is still alive today in South Korea, a housewife. But as he told me that story, I sat there and I said to myself, Ron, what would you have done if you'd have been in that line? I'd like to ask you that question tonight. It's been a full day. We've heard about the supremacy of Christ. What is it to serve in Christ? Tonight I'd like to ask you to consider the surrender to Christ, the King of Kings. You've been listening to the Today in the Word radio podcast and one of a five-part series of messages Ron Blue presented at Moody Week 1988 on vision, trust, and dependence on God. Ronald Blue was coordinator of the Spanish Doctor of Ministry program and adjunct professor in world missions and intercultural studies at Dallas Theological Seminary. Audio copies of this and many other messages from the podcast are available at moodyaudio.com. Today in the Word Radio is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of the Moody Bible Institute.